we go out to Los Angeles for the battle of the Lions versus the Chargers. Keenan, don't call me Kel Allen. And the Los Angeles Chargers put up a heroic effort. But the fighting Dan Campbell say, I take 20 shots of espresso every morning. It's my fucking dub. As the Lions and Jared Goff beat the Chargers. 41, 38. We travel to a game in the desert, featuring two teams fighting it up. Their wings clip between the Falcons and the Cardinals. It was a return for Kyler Murray in the desert, and despite the new Call of Duty game, he had a successful return. On a few plays, he looked like he was running away from the Falcons' defense like when a little kid steals something from you. It was a back-and-forth battle. Touchdowns, field goals, traded back-and-forth by each team, but it was Matt Prater's huge leg that sealed the win for the Cardinals. Cardinals, 25. Falcons, 43. We go down to the land of bath salts and meth for the Jaguars versus the San Francisco 49ers. George, I'm Taylor Swift's second favorite tight end, Kittle, and the Niners roll into Jacksonville. As Brock, my brother's name is Chubba, not Chubba, Chubby Purdy, beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. 34, break. In Scotty L's favorite place to lose his money, we go to Las Vegas where the Raiders and the Jets battled it out on Sunday Night Football. This matchup looked a lot better at the beginning of the season, but instead we had Zach Wilson versus Aiden O'Connell. A touchdown wasn't scored until the fourth quarter where Michael Meyer, who the hell names their kid that boom, caught a seven-yard pass from O'Connell. Viva, viva Las Vegas. What's the Raiders are looking alive, getting two wins in a row. Raiders 16, Jets 12. We go to the home of Nirvana and overpriced coffee as the Commanders take on the Seattle Seahawks. We have two mid-quarterbacks in Sam Howell and Geno Smith fueling it out against two very mediocre defenses. Sam Howell, 312 yards, three touchdowns, but it is not good enough to punch Geno Smith in the face yet again as the Seahawks soar 29-26. And at Highmark Stadium in Buffalo, the Denver Broncos have forced four turnovers to keep themselves in this ballgame. We'll run this down a little bit more, boom. Broncos Bills live reaction. Buffs Wildcat breakdown and other sports shit. This is out of Office Bros. Let's hit it. Sorry for that fumble, everybody. This is your boy D Train along with my co-host, Mr. Scotty L. How are we doing today, pal? Boy, D Train, uh, whoever our editor is, um, he's fumbling more than Cook is in this game. Boy, <laughs> we, uh, that was rough out of Mr. Scotty L. We're yeah, gonna change his name. That's all right. That's all right, man. We'll get better at that. No worries at all. But apologies to all the Ooblers out there, especially if you're a first time Oobler. We are uh, we are not professionals. We are just a bunch of a uh, bunch of out of office bros just trying our hand at a podcast. Yeah, we're uh, we're Greeley Public Schools educated. Infer <laughs> with that what you will. It, it wasn't great. But uh, other than that, we're, we're doing great. Um, well, maybe not. Just uh, just looked at the score here. 
Yeah, so uh, we are currently watching the Denver Broncos play the Buffalo Bills. I do want to give a shout out to the gentleman that I were that I was watching the game uh, in the first half with. Uh, I was watching it with my dad, uh, Mr. John DeWitt. I was watching with uh, Robert Arizmendi, James Herman, Blaine Herdman, um, and and a few other folks over there. So I just want to give a shout out to them because they said they're going to listen to the podcast. So <laughs> after my dad hyped it up a little bit for everybody over there, um, Ooh, but yeah, so shout out guy. Yeah. So right now the uh, the Denver Broncos are currently losing to the Buffalo Bills, twenty two to twenty one. The Buffalo Bills just scored a touchdown, but there's about there's a minute and fifty five seconds left of the game, and I believe we have two timeouts. So um, there's definitely a chance that we can go down and get a field goal here. But the main concern here is is that we have had uh, Will Lutz doink one on an extra point uh in the first half and then uh and then we just had a botch snap where we would now we would be tied uh at this point had we not just missed one on our most previous touchdown that we got yeah we're gonna have to uh quote mr coach prime on this and say special teams has not been special tonight yeah no, it's a hundred percent. And I mean, this is the bill's first lead of the game. Um, the Denver Broncos have had a, a very, very good and stout football game on defense, forcing four turnovers for the Buffalo bills, uh, two picks and two fumbles. Uh, Josh Allen has not looked like the guy that, uh, that everybody kind of thought he was at the beginning of the season. Oh, and they're reviewing the key plays that have, co- that have cost us this game right now. I literally just Doink. said this. Um, and so it's, the, the the Buffalo Bills are definitely beatable, and the the Miami Dolphins, who are leading the pack in the AFC East, have got to be licking their chops right now. Um, they're going to have a half a game lead, or if the Buffalo Bills end up winning this game, they're going to have a half a game lead against them in the AFC East after the New York Jets fell to the Las Vegas Raiders last night. Um, Scotty, I mean, we the Broncos have been looking better but is it almost is it kind of one of those things where it's almost a a little too little too late sort of thing i i don't know as we just break a nice little shovel pass to tamaj p ryan yeah um you know russ has been more of what we expected tonight when we made that trade in terms of the improv improv skills that he has in the outside of the pocket or when the plays collapse yeah um we've stuck to our winning formula of running the ball as Javante Williams has 21 carries on the night so far. Our defense has held another very, very, very good quarterback in check. Um, Make no mistake about it. Josh Allen is in that upper echelon of, you know, quarterbacks in this league and he's thrown two picks tonight. We, we called that on the preview where we have an opportunistic defense. Josh Allen's a gunslinger. He leads the league in interception since he's entered it. Mm -hmm. So, we, we've had opportunities. We haven't converted in the red zone every time or with great field position like we should have. That being said, we're, we're still very much in this game. And, you know, I, I say this as an optimist and looking at the glass half full, whatever happens on this drive as we're sitting here watching live with everyone right now, I, I feel very confident in how the Broncos have played tonight. Yeah. Outside yeah. of special teams. Yeah, that it, it it's 
that that's the bummer is is that way like shock and special teams do matter but people don't talk about it that much because you they're they're on the field for a small percentage of the time but they but you're easily able to flip the field on special teams and score those extra points that you that are much needed right here i mean i'd be feeling much better with us getting the ball being up by two points that we could we would be able to eat a minute and 55 seconds a clock and just ice this ball game but instead we're having to go down down the field here we probably need another 25 30 yards to get into a good good field goal range um Mm -hmm. we just had an incomplete pass um so now it's going to be second and 10 with a minute and 30 seconds left on the clock um but yeah i mean special teams does matter and unfortunately for us i mean i don't think that we have one of the elite kickers in the game granted the botch snap isn't entirely his fault but you cannot miss on those extra point conversions no i mean it's an extra point it's a free throw in basketball it's a tap in birdie it's whatever you want to call it you you got to make those and you got to convert on those and everything's you you got to do your job not to quote bill belichick but if everyone does their job you win ball games and will lutz failed us tonight and riley dixon didn't exactly play out of his mind either um right you know, there was, the, it, there, was, there was one punt that he had that we could have pinned them super deep and it just sailed right into the back of the end zone. It's like, what are right. we do? What are we doing here, man? Well, you know, here's the thing. We're going to talk about this later, but we're coming off of watching on Saturday an unbelievable punting performance um, from Mark Vissett, the CU punter. And we'll we'll talk a little bit more about that. But we saw uh, how that kept us pack. in that game. Completed first pass down. on third and five, first down for the Broncos. We're sitting. But he didn't about, get in bounds. Nope, he didn't, he didn't get, get in bounds. bounds. We still have, still have our two timeouts. The reason there was a pause was because of a Buffalo injury. Clock's ticking. Throw. Oh, he's in bounds too, I believe. Clock's running. We're get out yard. of bounds. This is basic football. This is yeah. This is basic football. It looks like we're going to take a timeout here. Yeah, that's oh, that was, we got it. That was to a tight end. That was Adam Chapman. Yeah. So it took a Tamar time Hamlin. out there. Tamar Hamlin on the tackle. Respect. Um, yeah, it's good to see him back on the field. Oh, absolutely. God, I don't trust Will Lutz on this. I think it, I'm going to hold back. I'm going to hold back for a minute on that. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't think that <laughs> – yeah, I mean, you definitely don't want to put any bad word or bad, bad vibes out there. But um, let's talk about, uh, while we're on a pause here, that Cortland Sutton catch uh, for that touchdown in the first half. Uh, Russ had to scramble outside the pocket, did a little did a little, uh, uh, little ballet move uh, to, to escape a, a come on, come, an oncoming defender, found Cortland Sutton uh, in the corner of the end zone, and he put an absolute – dot i mean he put this ball in a bucket man and and the catch was impressive don't get me wrong but i think the throw by russ shows why we why we wanted him here is is, was for those kind of improvisation sort of plays um where he's able to escape out of the pocket buy you some extra time and then make a play a big play downfield we are currently at the 39 yard line yeah um you know, as we as we talk about Russ and his performance of late, and really this and season, we just got sacked. This might not be the best, most opportune time to ask the question, um, but as we turn our focus, this year isn't over yet, obviously. But as we look ahead, which all GMs in the NFL should be doing, and you know, podcasts like ours are already doing, do you keep Russ as your quarterback next year? 
that's a very that's a very interesting question. I think what it I think what it comes down to is is where your draft position ends up being, um, and whether or not you have enough faith in a quarterback that you're going to end up drafting at whatever position that you have. So if we if we end up with a top five draft pick, I can see us taking quarterback. But as we've discussed before, it's going to be very tough to unload that contract of Russ's. And I doubt, I mean, there, like there may be a team that comes calling, man. I mean, I'm kind of thinking like, you know, maybe the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, like maybe they think Russ is a upgrade above Baker Mayfield, who's not playing, you know, super great football right now. Um, I'm trying to think of like who else. Russ is tossing one up deep and incomplete pass. But flags, 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 flags. I think they're going to get uh, number seven Johnson for the Buffalo Bills on a defensive pass interference. It's going to put us around the 15 yard line. Yep. Um, that that play, I credit to Russ right there. Russ, and yep. as much as I hate the guy, Jerry Judy. Um, Russ with a better in play of, hey, they're bringing an all out blitz. Let me throw it up, give my guy a chance. Even if it's a little underthrown, my receiver should oh, yeah. know to adjust back to the ball. And that's and that's that's exactly what I'll call that. It'll call that ten times out of ten, man. That's a heady play. A heady play. The defensive back hadn't turned his head around quite yet by the time the ball got there. They're going to call that every single time. Yeah, definitely a heady play by Russ, man. Smart of the yeah. uh, smart of the Buffalo Bills rushers there, not um, not sacking Russ and getting a rough in the passer penalty or not hitting him. Um, yeah, they let up on him. Josh right. Allen hates it. Oh, well. yep, not not upset. I love doing this live reaction, man. This is very, especially when it like matters. Like I was kind of nervous that we were gonna be like, oh, and we're gonna knee it, get into where Will Lutz kind of wants to be, get on his hash. Timeout! Oh, timeout! Buffalo. They're they're they want to go for another drive. I mean, why wouldn't you? You got yeah. Josh Allen. He's got a cannon of an arm. He can, and you got Stefan Diggs. Um, I, I would do the same thing in this position. Now it comes down to, you're also putting thoughts in Riley Dixon's head, and you're also putting thoughts in Will Lutz's head, both of which have not had stellar games. So right. And icing the really kicker, good coaching here. yeah, icing the kicker isn't great. Um, yeah. While we're on a pause, though, I do. I mean, we have been pounding the table for the for the Broncos to be rushing the ball more, eat more clock, um, and then be an opportunistic defense. And I think that we have absolutely done that this ball game. And it's I think I think we're if if we're gonna be winning football games, they're all going to be very close like this one is. Um it's gonna be a lot of nail biting, um a lot a lot of, you know, where the team really needs to be heads up on what's going on. Um, and smart play calling is, is really what's going to win us these ball games. I mean, obviously where we haven't been able to go out and really like break one, um, you know, we haven't had a lot of, of deep balls go down the field. So it's interesting here. Uh, Buffalo just burned their last time out. I believe so there's going to be about 23 seconds left on the clock. What do you do? Do you run, do you run a play here? so that the clock runs and then you trot you trot your field goal unit out there to try to go for the win but then so that there's no time left on the clock to give buffalo the ball back or do you take to use the timeout go kick a field goal with about 20 19 20 seconds left on the clock 
kick it to Buffalo where they have no timeouts and get their have their offense be back on the field. Well, it's third down right now, right? Mm-hmm. So we could take the knee, run the clock down to, you know, four seconds, and then timeout. Let, well, let's go. We don't have – do we still or, have no, – We're out of timeouts. We're out of, we're out of timeouts. That's what, yeah, that's why I asked that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it looks like we have the offense out we there. We have the so. offense out there. So I do think I do think that we're going to be doing that. I think we're going to I think we're going to knee the ball one more time, trot our defense out there, and let them run the clock. I mean, this is gutsy by Sean Payton, in my opinion. Um, I think you're, I you're think really banking on everyone getting set. Yeah, I yeah you are. I personally would rather just kick the field goal there and then trust in my defense. But here we go: 13, 12, 11, 10. We've got enough time. I'm two seconds behind you. Snap is it. Hold is good. Kick is up. And he fucking missed it! Okay. Oh, flag on the play. Flag on the play. It's in the backfield. Lining up over the center. Lining up over the center. Yeah. Fourth down. So he gets another kick. Oh, my God. 12, 12 men on the field for the Bills. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yeah, they had 11 men on the line. Wow. All right, so Will Lutz now is not in a panic mode, and now it's a 36-yard field goal. Snap is good. Ball is down. Kick is up. Field goal is good. Time expires. Broncos win 24 to 22. Oh my God, dude. This was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Weird ending. Um, Okay, that's a huge win for the Broncos, uh, moving us to four and five. Um, drops the Bills to five and five. Suddenly, they are now in a dogfight for the playoffs. Um, we got we got some vintage Russ tonight, which is yeah, great we did. to see. Um, we ran the ball in a very dedicated way, which is once again what you want to see. It's not like we were. I, I wouldn't say we were exceptional running the ball. Um, we had 124 yards rushing, but we also had 34 carries, yeah. which is what you need. Um, yeah. That dominates time of possession. And it, and it doesn't matter the success. Like it's, it's eating the clock. Like what is, what is our time of possession end up being for this game? I mean, I feel like our offense had the ball a lot of the time compared to the, compared to the bills. Yeah, it looks like we had it 37 minutes and 21 seconds yeah. versus their 22-39. Yeah. Um, that, that's how you win ball games. That, mm-hmm. that is how you win ball games. Um, now that Will Lutz has made the kick, I feel comfortable in asking this. Despite him just knocking through the game winner, not to be Debbie Downer right now, do we explore options of kicker? We have There's to. some he, good guys. We have to. He he missed the first one. 
I mean, that cannot be overstated enough. He missed that first one, and we got bailed out by the Buffalo Bills not knowing what they were doing on the, on special teams. Why did and they he have to on the field? And he doinked earlier in the game. Exactly. Um, I I think you have to. I think you have to explore other options at kicker. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said this name before. He was a staple on my fantasy roster for the first nine years of our league's existence. Mm-hmm. Mason Scobuffs Crosby is still out on the street right now. Very clutch kicker. Uh, got a huge leg. Um, used to I, kicking at elevation. Used to, used to kicking at elevation, obviously, with his career at the University of Colorado. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I... I say you bring him in for a tryout. See if he's still got to. it. You have to, man. I mean, there's no there's no way that you can trust this guy after this game. I mean, because look at, look at the stats. If I told you that we forced four turnovers this game and dominated the time of possession like we did, would you say we only won by two? I, I'm going to call all this, especially because it was a primetime game, this was an embarrassing win. Like, this made, like yes, we beat the Buffalo Bills, who everybody thinks is like this big juggernaut. And I said this on the previous podcast. I don't know why people still think that. Um, but they are they have been beatable obviously and this is an embarrassing win because we should if if we had any chance of um if we had converted on any of those turnovers we we this this game would have been an absolute blowout but there there were other ones where we would have where we stopped them on fourth down um and then it had a had a three and out and a fumble, which keeps them in this ball game. There's just there there were just certain things about this game that I just do not do not love, but I obviously I'll take the win. Yeah, you know, I I still struggle to sit here and say it's an embarrassing win. I mean, think about it. We were seven and a half point dogs going on the road. Um yes, we were coming off a of bye week. Some teams react differently to bye weeks. Um, than others, some are better coming off of a bye where they get that extra week of prep versus others that get rusty. And I was worried that we would get rusty because we have been a little hot lately. Um, You know, a win's a win, and I'm going to take it, especially in a season that we weren't very confident in a lot of wins coming. Mm -hmm. Um, We always said we we were projecting third in our division. We're currently tied for third with the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, The Raiders are five and five somehow right now. Um, I wish they hadn't have fired Josh McDaniels because <laughs> I, I think we would have been a lot better off if they didn't. Um, you know, we're we're in the thick of it to a certain extent in our division. I mean, Kansas City is seven and two. Um, as we look at the playoff race, we're 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 in it. It's not yeah. impossible to get there. Which, if I had told if our future selves could go back to the past right now. We wouldn't have believed that three weeks ago. Yeah, I wouldn't four say weeks so. Ago. Four weeks ago, yeah, I, I would completely agree with you. I mean, so, we, we were we were sitting at one and five. Like, who would have who would have thought that we would rattle off three wins in a row against the um, Packers, Chiefs, and now the Bills? Yeah, and you know, there, there's a lot that still has to shake out. There, there was a lot. Um, currently, we're tied with the New York Jets for. 13th in the AFC. Um, They own the tiebreaker over us based on the head to head. Um, Then the chargers also at four and five, along with the Denver Broncos, they have the tiebreaker over the jets. And then 
the division tiebreaker was initially used to eliminate Denver out of that. So that's interesting. Then you got the Raiders, the Bills, the Colts, all at five and five, along with the Bengals at five and four. Yeah. Um, a lot is going to have to happen for us to sneak into the playoffs here. Yeah. And somehow Houston has surged. I mean, CJ Stroud is real. CJ Stroud is real, man. He, he, I I think we can dive into him a little bit more on Thursday just because our, our Tuesday podcasts are usually reserved for uh, reviews of our games. Um, So a quick shout out uh, to Shalom Sharp, who, uh, who picked uh, Justin Simmons getting an interception tonight. I uh, just wanted to throw him out on the pod because uh, he, as part of the Fade Gamblers Network, um, obviously you know that, <laughs> that you guys are um, not the best, but but fun when you get them right. Yeah, no, I, uh, I almost had a nice little single game parlay hit tonight. Um, I think the only thing that didn't hit on that single game parlay was I had Stefan Diggs scoring just because Stefan Diggs is a dominant receiver. Um, but everything else I had in there did hit. So the fade fade us stays alive as uh, yet another parlay down the drain, unfortunately. Absolutely. Absolutely. But um, lasting thoughts on this game, he it, it is a big dub for the Broncos. We can't understate that in terms of what this win means for the organization moving forward. I think this starts to reevaluate a lot. Um, I do truly wonder – what Russ would look like behind a very good offensive line um, or at least behind a better offensive line than Mm -hmm. what we have. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we saw McGlinchey get penalized tonight. We saw Garrett Bowles. Yeah. McFlinchey as we are, we should now refer to him. We saw Garrett Bowles um, do his best Matador impersonation a couple times tonight. And, you know, I want to see what we can do when we, when we firm up our line before we really start, you know, saying Russ isn't the guy or whatever we want to do. Cause even, even our rushing, you know, if you're rushing at 36 times, you should average better than 3.6 carry in my eyes. Um, sure. At least a little bit better. And it's not like the bills run defense is the best in the NFL. They have very good run defense, not great. I, I would like to see what we can do with a better offensive line. And I think that's kind of been the story of the Broncos for, a little while now and you know giving Garrett Bowles that big deal after one good year and four shit years might not have been the best move it's pretty suspect it it, it is sus as the kids say yeah yeah but big win yeah big win. big big win for the Broncos I think we'll I think we'll dive into this one uh, maybe a little bit more just because we'll let this one we'll let it sink in a little bit uh, and maybe talk about it a little bit more uh, on the pod on Friday but let's move on to another game that we have had time to uh, to soak up and uh, and and maybe think about a little bit and that is the Colorado Buffalo's loss to the Arizona Wildcats um, the Arizona Wildcats did play um, yeah, come into Fafita. Folsom. Yeah, come come into Folsom, and Fafita um, has absolute. I mean, he's he's so good. I I think I think this guy is a very very solid quarterback. Um, but we had a chance to win this ball game. Uh, we we truly did. This this game was back and forth. Each team going down and scoring and uh, would trade field goals, then trade a touchdown, and and we really really 
were in this ball game against uh, at the time the number twenty three or number twenty yeah twenty three on the AP number twenty one on the college football playoff team. Yeah, um, I mean the buffs buffs should have won this game. Um, there's no if ands or buts about it in my eyes. Um, we dominated. We won the time of possession. We had thirty one minutes and forty eight seconds time of possession versus Arizona's twenty eight and twenty eight minutes and twelve seconds. Um, Arizona led for zero seconds in the game, which makes that hurt a little bit more. Um, overall, though, I, I thought the Buffs were were the better team um, this game. We we ran the ball. We showed more of a dedication running the ball than we previously had. Granted, a lot of that was Shador um, getting out and running. He was our leading rusher with only 29 yards on 13 attempts. But, um, I mean, we, we ran the ball 30 times. Like, we talk about averages with the Broncos, and I just said if you're running that much, you'd need to have a better average. Um, that applies to the Bron- to the buffs here. Uh, 30 attempts for 77 yards, only averaging 2.6 carry. But it did free up a little bit more in that offense, which was what we were claiming for at the end of the day. So, um I, I thought we should have won this game. And there there are little moments we can point to that mm-hmm. cost us. Um, we're talking about clock management again. To a certain extent, I don't think it was as bad this game as we had seen this year. But we still have some clock management issues and game management issues, um, which is entirely coaching. Um, I, I think we – one thing that was telling – was we had a fourth and one on our last drive. And instead of going for it, we we punt the ball. And we t- I, I mentioned it earlier, Mark Fassett had one hell of a game from a punting perspective. I mean, the dude was probably the MVP for the Buffs that game. If we had won, he, he gets the game ball. Um, that being said, when you're not going for it on fourth and one from the opponent's, what, 45-yard line, something like that, or our own 40-yard line, it was right around there, kind of the middle of the field. That that's very telling, because you don't have confidence that you can pick up one yard. And, you know, to to Dion's point on that, why would you? We went forward on fourth and one in the end zone, and we couldn't pick up that one yard on the goal line. Yeah, I. It's just another week of frustrations. Well, I think that I think this goes to what Dion said in his post game presser, where he said we we simply just don't know how to win yet, and it's not for a lack of effort, not for lack of coaching with the staff or support staff, the trainers, strength and conditioning, and everybody around us. They're doing a phenomenal job. We just can't get over that hump. It, it was that yeah. it was that same thing. Like they're they're just not a team that. Um, just knows how to win those tight football games yet. And I, and I, and I want to, I want to specify that because I do think that we are on the cusp of, of something great. And, and I hope that, that us as fans can see that Um, we, we have to remember that we were a train wreck last year at one and 11. And as evidenced by the three, no start, 
and then and then now you know head going going uh one and five but being in very very tight ball games outside of the oregon game we are a very very improved football team and at the end of the day that that is all that we could ask for as colorado fans there there was all this hype about us because of that three and oh start but at the, at the end of the day, we have to be excited about the future of this program. Yeah. I mean, we are once again, a competitive ball club, which right. is more than we could say for a very, very long time outside of what 2016 with the rise and the COVID season of 2020, which was shortened and has an asterisk and a bunch of other factors went into that. Um, you know, we're, I think where Buffs fans' heads are and where my head is, is it's so frustrating right now because truly we are a handful of plays away each game, not even, from being 9-1 and one mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, truly, we, we should have won Stanford. We, that, that's a game that should have been a win. We, we controlled that ball game up until the second half, and we just we got complacent. You know, Arizona, we, we should have beat Arizona. We had the opportunity. We were we were there. Mata missed. On Mata don't miss, Mata missed. And, you know, part of that is players, got, players make plays, players win games. Mm-hmm. Do your job. And Mata missed. Um, there was also a missed call by the officials on that one, not to be the ref, blame the ref guy, but Shore was clearly face masked. It's, he was on that third down that it, the next play was a missed field goal. Um, that takes us from, you know, uh, a missed field goal into three more downs closer to the closer to the end zone. And who knows what happens because Shador was dealing a little bit that game. And, um, you know, Xavier Weaver is always a threat, especially in the red zone. Javon Antonio, he's a big body down there. So we have weapons that could have potentially done something or at the very least it gets Mata closer to field goal range um, where he just doesn't have the biggest leg. And we got to recruit a kicker there. God, we're doing a lot of kicker talk on this podcast, and I don't love don't it. love it. Don't love it. Don't love it. Kickers should. Kickers are important. Kickers are people too. But <laughs> we should never be talking this much about a kicker. But we're gonna have to get a new kicker um, going into next year. I know that Mata is Prime's guy, but we we need a new kicker, and I I think that Prime's not afraid to make changes, and we've seen that. I think you're probably gonna see about 20 kids hit the portal this year. Um, Buffs fans should not freak out about that. We're going to get better. You got to trust it. Um, but we're right there. And and that's been the essence of this season is, you know, we were right there against USC, who's a ranked opponent. We were right there against Oregon State, ranked opponent, very quality team. Um, we were right there against Arizona. We were right there against everyone but Oregon. We're, yeah. we're right there. And... I think we finished five and seven this year, um, which you think, we go sucks. To, you think we go up to Pullman and win? Yeah. Pullman's just, I mean, it's a hard place to play on the Palouse. So I, I think if we win, it's going to be another close one. We, we've we won big once this year. Um, granted, it was against a very bad Nebraska team. But every other game, win or loss, has been very close outside of Oregon. I mean, Oregon and Nebraska are the outliers on our schedule. Everything else is falling very much in that mean of, you know, losing by winning or losing within 10 points. Right. Um, UCLA is the only one that's kind of on the outskirts of that. 
but look at where we're at versus where we were. And that's what I have to keep reminding myself as someone who is heavily invested in this program is we had a negative 29.6 point differential last year. Mm-hmm. We weren't in these kind of ball games. Like Arizona could have rolled in here against last year's team and beat us 45 to six. Yeah. This year we, we controlled the game and you know, I think as we talk about patience and trusting the process and trusting your coach, there's no better opponent to point to than the Arizona Wildcats or the Oregon State Beavers, our last two games. They hired the right coaches. They were patient with the process. I mean, a couple of years ago, Jed Fish's first year at Arizona, a Carl Durrell coached team won 33 to 6 against the Arizona Wildcats in Jed Fish's first year. Or 33-3, it was a blowout. He's got them ranked in year three. We were ranked earlier this year. We were way ahead of schedule. And we are probably guilty of it on this podcast of putting the cart before the horse and getting way too excited and drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit. But we're, we're Buffs fans. We're starving for success. And we got to trust that next year this story is going to go differently. The yeah. script is going to go different. I Yeah, you 100% have to. And I think the conference switch is right. – it, it, it leaves a little less to um, – what how do I want to put this? To predict. Like you like we can't mm-hmm. we can't say, oh, well, this is how we played them last year. Therefore, we need to do this thing. So switching switching back to the Big 12 is going to be a very interesting thing. But where where is our strength on the Colorado team? It's on the offensive side of the ball. These big 12 defenses, it's, it's a meme how bad these teams are on the defensive side of the ball. So I think that, you know, if it comes down to, you know, some more high scoring, you know, where we don't have to focus as much on the ground game, Shador is just able to throw the ball over the, all over the field because Dion did come out and say, he's not letting Shador enter the draft this year. Yeah. Um, And Shiloh. And Shiloh. So, um, so we'll be getting those two guys back for next season. Um, that, that it is going to be a very interesting switch up. Something that I wanted to talk to you about and something I noticed watching, uh, watching this game. And, and I watched it afterwards. So I knew what the results were. Um, but then I, but then I went back and watched the game because I had an event. But, um, in Pat Shermer's second game as the offensive play caller, I would say that we got a little bit more of that like explosiveness back in our offense, a little bit more of that mm-hmm. swagger. But the pace of play left something to be desired, if that makes sense. Very much so. Um, I think if you could meld and marry though the Sean Lewis pace of play with this new Pat Shermer kind of style of play calling, that would be beautiful. And that's yeah. something I'm hoping to see against Wazoo. Arizona's got pass rushers. Arizona can get after the quarterback. Um, our offensive line held up a little bit better this game. I don't want to give them a ton of credit because they're still not very good. But that would help, I think, being able to play fast. And that was one thing that stuck out to me was it just felt so slow after what we've been watching all year. I mean, Mm -hmm. this offense has been quick. And I think that's one thing we all want 
playing as Buffs fans is play fast. Like we're the second highest elevated team altitude wise in the country behind only Wyoming. We don't play Wyoming. Right. So get out, make these guys tired, make these opposing teams tired. And the way you do that is you go fast and you run the ball. Mm-hmm. We we did one of those things. Well, we tried to do one of those things and commendable effort there. But it just felt slow. It felt really, really slow. And I and I think that that could have been that could have made a difference. I mean, maybe it does slow Shador down a little bit in his head, where he's able to make better decisions. Um, but there, but but I personally feel that there's a there's a slight chance that it could have made a difference in this ball game, where we may have had enough time because of the pace of play to have maybe uh, like shocked the Arizona Wildcat defense into. Mm-hmm making a mistake because they weren't able to get the right personnel out there or what have you um, that could, that could have broken the game wide open, but yeah, just kind of yeah. wanted to get your opinion on that. Cause I felt, I just felt it was slower just it, kind of watching it back. It really did. Um, but you know, I, I got to give credit to the Wildcats um, resilient. They stuck with it. They, they won the game. They, they snatched victory from the jaws of defeat and you know, credit to Fafita, who is going to be a problem for years. That is the first game all year that we did not generate a turnover. Yeah. And, and I was waiting. I was waiting gonna for be, it. He's going to be fun to watch. And I and I just know that when they when I don't know if they figured out like the the entire like conference realignment sort of thing where we know who like which teams are going to be playing every single mm-hmm. year in the Big 12 yet. Mm-hmm. But I can almost guarantee that we're going to have Utah, Arizona State and U of A against us every single year. We're going to be in like the Big 12 West or whatever you want to call it. So they have figured it out. It's going to be oh, they have. pods. Okay. I believe so. And I believe our pod, we're actually reverting back to our old Big 12 um, oh. kind of rivalries where we're not going to be playing them um, super consistent. I, I could be wrong. I saw something, but who knows? Um, future opponent-wise, we have U of A on the schedule the next year, next two years. Um, but it looks like our pod is actually going to be like Kansas, K-State, um, Oklahoma State maybe, or Iowa State, one of the two. So that that could help us. That, that could help us because those are not teams that um, have given us too many fits recently. Whereas Arizona, right. it, it seems like every year we have to fucking deal with Arizona where – you know, first off, it was a Khalil Tate comes off the bench right. and just runs wild and starts his Heisman campaign and looks like a Heisman winner and an all-time great against the Colorado Buffaloes, but really faded into irrelevance pretty quick for the Arizona Wildcats. Um, Nick Foles, my freshman year, yeah. Nick Foles came in, and I think that is how he got drafted in his draft position was his game against the Colorado Buffaloes. So I, I'm, God, I'll, I'll be happy. Man. <laughs> yeah, Nick Nick Foles, which also like quietly was one of the best QB rooms I have ever seen was that Michigan State program that he transferred from. It was like him, Kirk Cousins, and I want to say Connor Cook. Yeah. All three guys in that room went on to play in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, God, if Michigan State could ever figure their shit out, they could be a wagon. <laughs> yeah, they well, they definitely won't. But speaking of wagons, uh, wanted to talk about uh, some success that the Colorado Buffaloes have had uh, for women's basketball. Our our Lady Buffs are uh, as of today ranked fifth overall in the NCAA AP rankings after beating uh, the then number one ranked team LSU by 14 points uh, scourged to an easy win the following Wednesday, 97 to 38 against Lemoyne, uh, but then had another big game against a a good basketball program. Um, They're not ranked anymore, but they, but they were when we played them in Oklahoma state lady buffs beating uh, them 86 to 75. This J.R. Payne team, man, they are, are on a mission yeah man they're um this team's different this team's special and it's gonna be a really fun team to follow this year because you have excellent players up and down this roster i mean i'm a huge jalen shrug guy she is a tough guard She's not afraid to drive to the basket. She gets it down low and gets rebounds on the defensive side and on the offensive side. She sees the floor in a very strong way, but she's just an aggressive player, which I love. Then you got Von Ley, who was just named the player of the week, the Pac-12 player of the week. She had three monster games against, you know, LSU, LeMoyne, and then Oklahoma State. Um, you got Q uh, Miller who's a beast down low. She can also pull out and shoot the three behind the arc. I mean, this team, they don't have a lot of weaknesses, which is, you know, something that has always been a factor on both the men's and women's side is there's that. Yeah. But like Tad Boyle's team plays great defense, but they can't shoot the three or on the women's side. Yeah. They have some dead eye shooters, but they're not really tough on the boards. There's really no yeah, but on this roster. And I I genuinely think the ceiling for this team, man, it's final four, maybe a natty appearance, right? Depending on, depending on how the bracket falls and health and all that stuff. But J.R. Payne has got this going in such a good direction, which it didn't start off that way with her. Her, the start of her tenure was rocky waters. But credit to Rick, he stuck with her, he stuck with the process, and she brought in some serious, serious talent. And they're yeah, not so they got some Rose, good players Sarah, coming in too. Sarah Rose Smith probably being the most uh the most electric, I would say. Oh yeah, she's just a scrappy, gritty player coming off or she was coming off the bench uh for Missouri last year. Um, and she's doing just a little bit of everything for this CU women's basketball team. Yeah, this team has a has a lot of grit. They have a lot of fight, and they're all kind of scrappy. They're not afraid to get in there and mix it up. They're really sound fundamentally. It, it's a really it's a quality team. Now, could five be a little too high at this point in the season? That's my concern. But right. you also look across the Pac-12 on the women's side. Five out of twelve teams are in the top ten. This is an unbelievable conference for women's basketball. You have Stanford, you have USC, Oregon, Colorado, um, UCLA, I believe, was up there, as well as um, I think it was Oregon State was also ranked. Like, this conference top to bottom on the women's side is 
lethal. And once we get into conference play, it is going to be a dogfight every night. Um, you gotta, you gotta tune in for some women's ball, dude. It's fun. Like I know you've been watching, but to our listeners out there, watch this women's basketball team because they play such a great brand of basketball. Yeah, and, and complimentary basketball. That's something that I was gonna bring up. Was is that they? So they have uh, combined as a team. They have twenty plus assists in all three of these games, which is the first time that they've done that. Uh, just see you women's basketball since 2007. Like they're, <laughs> they're, they're playing complimentary basketball right now Jesus. where they're, they're not afraid. They're not afraid to pass the ball and let another, another player make the shot. Um, whereas before I feel like we maybe had a, like quite a few ball hogs. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So it's just it's it's really interesting watching this this ball club just beyond beyond this meteoric rise, especially after a convincing 14 point win over the defending national championship LSU Tigers like this is this is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I I just pulled up the rankings because I want to give a perspective of where C women's basketball is in the landscape of the women's game right now. You have South Carolina. Um, Don Staley is probably the best coach in women's basketball right now. She is probably unseated. Um, Gino Ariema over at UConn. She has the South Carolina Gamecocks really rolling. They're an incredibly run program. They're really strong. You have Iowa with the best women's basketball player in the country. Um, I would even go so far as to say the best women's basketball player, period, and probably the best college basketball player, period, um, with Caitlin Clark. They're at number two. Number three, you have the UCLA Bruins. Number four, you have the Utah Utes. Number five, the Colorado Buffaloes. Number six, Stanford, who has had an incredible run on the women's hoop side. Um, Tara Vanderveer is an absolute legend of a coach. She is one of the winningest coaches of all time across college basketball. Um, then you got the LSU Tigers at seven. They won the Natty last year. The UConn Huskies, Gina Oriema, another legendary coach, one of the winningest coaches as well. They're coming I think in he eight. might be the winningest coach. Period. For basketball. And then the Virginia Tech Hokies at nine and rounding out the top ten is the USC Trojans. So that is one, two, three, four, five Pac-12 teams in the top ten. We make up 50% of the top ten. And the Colorado Buffaloes are ranked ahead of programs that have been Final Four staples in Stanford, LSU, and UConn. Mm-hmm. That's that's not a small feat, and that's something that we need to pack the keg for. Um, get out there and support because this is this is an incredible team, and a home court advantage does play a role. And South Carolina fills up, Stanford fills up. Stanford women draw better than their men. Yeah, I can say that from experience. Stanford women draw much better than the men, and UConn sells out their women's games too. So go create a home court advantage because mm-hmm. it's going to be fun. I know I'm going to get up to a game or two this year. Um, I'm hoping D-Train will join me for one of those because it'll be a good time. And, dude, it's going to be a great year for women's hoops. It's going to be a great year. Yeah, yeah, it 100% will be, man. And let's oh, we have another team ranked in Boulder, right? We sure do. That's what I was just going to flip it over to is our Colorado men's basketball team uh, coming in at number 25 on the AP polls uh, for basketball with two two early season wins, both pretty convincing, uh, beating Towson 75-57, uh, to 57, and then following uh, that up with last Friday night, 95-63 uh, to 63 against Grambling State. And and you had mentioned this um, when we did, when they were playing Towson, 
house and when we recorded our um, two podcasts ago that, that we had lost to Grambling State last season. Mm-hmm. So this yep. was a, I, for the, for those that were on the team this year, I'm assuming that this is going to be a great moral victory moving forward. Uh, we do take on uh, Milwaukee tomorrow uh, at the keg. Um, and then, and then some interesting, some interesting games uh, that are going to round out November, but then it really kind of starts to heat up with some out of conference uh, teams that we're going to end up playing. Um with uh with richmond iona uh richmond and iona have had teams that have made it into the ncaa tournament over the last few years Mm -hmm. and have made some noise uh richmond i'm pretty sure uh actually won uh in the in the first round uh, just just a year ago i think uh it may have been two years ago um and then colorado state uh always a fun one uh but then the big one is going to be december 10th when we take on the u the university of miami florida um, who's currently ranked 12th. Um, that's going to be, that's going to be, I think the, probably the biggest test before we go into in conference play for the men's basketball team. Yeah. And even that one against the U is going to be interesting, right? Because that's actually being played in Brooklyn at right. the Barclays center. So that's, um, part of a bigger thing for college basketball, but this men's team is, um, this is the deepest Boyle squad that he's ever had. This is the deepest team that Tab Boyle's ever had. Um, realistically, he, he's got nine, probably nine really, really confident players, maybe 10 on that roster that you could put in at any time and, and trust that they're going to do the right thing. Um, Towson, that's got to be a win. And it was, you know, KJ Simpson played amazing that game. He looked like a man on a mission. Then Grambling, um, Tristan De Silva came in and played a great game and is showing why he was getting you know, some All-American buzz and some draft buzz and All-Pac-12 buzz early in this year um, in the preseason. And he he came out and played like it. This Milwaukee team is a very good team. Um, They are one of those mid-majors that is consistently making tournaments and always in the fight for that, you know, auto bid. So they're they're not going to be an easy test, but we should get it of that game. And one interesting thing about the Grambling game was our star freshman, Cody Williams, did not play. He was he had a minor injury. He's supposedly back um, when we take on Milwaukee, and he he runs the floor so well. He sees the floor well beyond what his age truly is. And keep in mind, this kid's barely eighteen, and he's he's seeing the floor at a very high level, which is why he is such a great complementary piece to a KJ Simpson and to a Tristan De Silva that are more veteran players that have been in Pac-12, that have played in big games, that have won a couple big games. He was someone that you needed to come in on this roster and kind of round out that third threat. And he's fitting in very, very nicely. He's going to have growing pains just as every freshman does. But this is a really good Tad Boyle team. It's a really good Tad Boyle team because you got Javon Hadley, who's a guard leading us at the rebounding position, which Tad might not love out of the bigs, but I mean, it's, you want to see your guards crashing the glass. KJ is averaging 17 a game, hundred percent from the line, which is big. And then he's also leading in assists at five, 5.5 assists per game, which that's boil ball at its finest. 
Yeah. Well, loves the guard that distributes. <laughs> he really does. I mean, he, he, and he's not going to, he's not going to keep or allow any players to stay on the team that aren't going to be running his system. That that's sort of the thing with Tad Boyle is that he's a no nonsense coach. And it, as long as you're running his system, you're going to be successful. Yeah. I mean, that maybe that's why I love Tad Boyle so much is because he is such an old school coach for basketball about the fundamentals being strong. It's, it's a lot like to a lesser extent, the Greg Popovich spurs Yeah, of we're going to run the system. We're going to crash the boards. We're going to work the ball around. You're going to pass up a good shot for a great shot. You're going to hit the open man and you're going to be consistent in our system. Boyle doesn't like ISO boys. <laughs> Boyle's gotten better about playing zone D, which is needed. Uh, this team really needed to play zone for a long time, and he finally dialed back on going man. <laughs> um, but Boyle, he's grown and developed as a coach, which is all you can ask. And he's been incredibly consistent. Yeah. Incredibly consistent for the University of Colorado. And he's he's different than Coach Prime. He's more dialed back. He's more just kind of a lunch pail mentality and I'm going to go to work and my team's going to do the right thing and we're going to play good ball. Mm -hmm. But he's also now pairing it with a high level of recruiting that coach prime does. And that is a lethal combo in my eyes. And they have the PAC 12 men's basketball is really good yet again this year. Um, Arizona Wildcats did just go on the road to Cameron Fieldhouse with Duke and win. they upset the number one Duke blue devils um, Arizona is a very good team. You have USC. They're pretty good, but they're in my eyes are a little overhyped. And then really it's Colorado in third. Um, you have other teams receiving votes, whether that's UCLA and Oregon. Colorado in my eyes is going to get a bit, is going to get a first round buy in the PAC 12 tournament, which is huge. Yes. That's, I don't think Boyle's ever done that because the PAC 12 has been so deep. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to think. I feel like he may have in like his third year. Um third year we were still fifth in his third year. Oh yeah. Because that was um that was the year that we all went. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. Hmm. And then uh his first year we had that legendary run where we went off and won the Pac twelve tournament and got in the NCAA second by year. doing that. But second year. That was was second it the second year? year? Yeah. Because he, oh, yeah, he became because we were in the Pac-12 tournament he, and he, he was in the Big Twelve. He traveled. He traveled with me to Boulder, man. His first year was my freshman year. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> really, because he played his last. His first year there was the last year of the Big Twelve, and then his second year was our first year in the Pac, and the, we went Correct. on that incredible tournament run in Vegas. Yeah, um, it's going to be it's a fun team, and what's really exciting about the move to the Big Twelve is that is a better basketball conference even than yeah. the Pac twelve. It's a good men. it's a good move um, by Rick George. I feel I mean the Pac twelve was dissolving pretty much for the most part, anyways. But in terms of of deciding which conferences that was going to be the best for Colorado, going and renewing the rivalries we had with the Big Twelve for the football is going to be huge. But then for the basketball program, it is going to be gigantic ginormous i would say like because yeah, I, I said huge for colorado it, or for football it's going to be ginormous for basketball yeah i mean you're playing kansas which is a blue blood of blue bloods in college basketball um arizona's coming with us which is great for the landscape of college basketball yeah uh, houston has been a really good team recently 
Um, God, who else is even in there? Texas Tech has been really solid on men's basketball recently. Obviously, Colorado's been good. Um, Arizona State has been okay. Bobby Hurley is a terrible coach, though, so I I wonder if they're going to fire him. But TCU has been good. Iowa State has been really consistently good. It's going to be so fun to get back to Big 12 basketball. Yeah. It is going to be so fun. Uh, The only bad part is that tournament's in Kansas City versus Las Vegas. (laughs) Big 12 needs to move their tournament to Vegas because then I will be in attendance every year. (laughs) I know you would. Just like I said on the previews where you go to want to spend all your money, go and lose all of it. Oh, it's so fun. It's so (laughs) fun. Losing in Vegas is better than losing anywhere else. Yeah. Well, man, before we sign off for the evening, I just wanted to give a shout out to you and your. (laughs) Okay. Actually, there was one thing I did want to talk about um, before we signed off was the coaching carousel in college football. Oh yeah, that's right. You did want to talk about that. It already has. Wild. It's, it's honestly insane how like I, there's only two games left in the football season, but it's kind of one of those things where it's like, why not just let the guy finish this out? These kids know him, just let him know that they're going to be let go at the end of the season, but let, let him finish the coaching of, of this year, because these are his kids. These are the, you know, most of the time it's who they recruited or who they got in the transfer portal and brought here. I, I, I just don't love, um, firing, especially in college NFL, I get like these dudes are professionals, like they'll, they'll deal with it, but I don't love firing coaches, uh, mid college football season. It's, it's a weird, it's a weird dichotomy that you run into there, right? Because you've got Carl Durrell as an example where his team consistently fucking lost. And he clearly lost the locker room, but those were the kids he brought in. Right. Well, maybe not all of them because we went through so many goddamn coaches in that time. We had what McIntyre, Mel Tucker, Carl Durrell, Mike Sanford before we got to coach prime. And that was like, that wasn't even, that doesn't even cover our time as coaches Mm -hmm. or as students at CU. Like we had more coaches than that, which is awful. Um, in Jumbo Fisher's case, which is the most notable firing by far and away so yeah, far. Yeah, that's the biggest name so far, for sure. With Texas A&M. Um, those kids are basically professionals. They had the highest paid recruiting class in the history of college football, outside of maybe like the Pony Excess years at SMU. Um, I mean, they're pros. Like those guys, those kids are making more than I will in my lifetime. Yeah, Um, a couple of them. So it's like, welcome to the real world. If you want to be paid like a big boy, you're going to have to act like a big boy when adversity like this hits. Um, There's been a lot of rumblings about not not from anyone reputable. And I throw Stephen A. Smith in there because he's a jackass about Coach Prime going to A&M. I just wanted to address this real quick. He's not fucking going to A&M. He's not. But it is it is one of the more tantalizing jobs available, I would say. It absolutely is because AM has the deepest pockets, arguably, of any university out there. Mm-hmm. Um, they have many billionaires, oil money that is willing to throw it in there. I mean, they're paying Jimbo $76 million to just go away, to not coach them. 
Did they're you, paying him seventy six million. That is triple the highest known coaching buyout at a public yeah. school in history. Triple. Yeah, and you want to know you want to know the worst part about that buyout for them? What's that? It doesn't offset if he gets another job. Right. Like there is a world, I'm not saying this will happen. There is a world where Jimbo Fisher becomes the offensive coordinator at the University of Colorado, is making $1.2 million a year and still getting his paycheck from Texas A&M in full. Like he could legitimately come here and work for $5,000 a year and it doesn't matter to him. Yeah. It, it is asinine. But Brian I mean, is leaving. It's resetting the paradigm for coaching buyouts. Like it's it's nuts. Something's something's got to give here because they just proved that that model does not work well, by any stretch of the imagination. It's two years into a ten-year contract that they did with this dude. Of course, the buyout's going to be huge. Yeah, and they gave him the most asinine deal. He won a natty, a natty. He's going to go to fucking Nick Saban's rehab school and be fine. But at the end of the day, it was a dumbass contract. Coach Prime is not leaving. I, I want to qualm that right now. Shador can't transfer again. Otherwise, he'd have to sit out a year. Shiloh, he's a more of a gray area because he's a grad transfer. Right. But he's Travis not going to go. Travis can't transfer. Travis can't transfer again. He'll have to sit out a year. They'd all have to move again. They'd all have to learn an entirely new system again. And AM donors are the worst. Mm-hmm. They are the worst. They want it, they want someone they can control. No one, no other school is going to unilaterally give Coach Prime the power that he has gotten at the as he has at the University of Colorado. If this was next season, if this was next offseason, I would be, yes, I would be worried about Coach Prime leaving. He's not leaving while Shador, Travis, and Shiloh still have eligibility and would still have to sit because of this. Right. Some of our listeners are probably sitting, well, Scotty L, what about the one time, what about when the coach gets fired or takes a new job transfer exemption? It's bullshit. We saw it with Tyler Brown this year on the buffs. He transferred from Jackson State to here, didn't get the waiver approved because it was his third transfer. Guess what? It would be Travis's, it would be Shador's. Well, it would be Shador's second transfer, and that's where this rule really comes into play, is the second time transfer. It would be Travis's second. It would be Shador's second. It would be Shiloh's third. Third. He played at South Carolina, then Jackson State, now Colorado. He's not leaving. And also, his daughter is on the women's basketball team. You really think that she would rather go from sitting on the bench for the number five team in the country versus going and sitting on the bench for an unranked trash trash team? Right. She doesn't. Yeah. Prime is here for at least next season. Let's qualm that right now. They're going to have their pick of schools. I wouldn't be shocked if Dan Lanning becomes the next head coach of Texas A&M, small dick Dan, or if, you know, Mike Norvell from Florida state takes the call or Kalen DeBoer from Washington or Jonathan Smith from Oregon state, but it is not going to be Dion coach prime Sanders. Mm-hmm. I'm going to qualm that right now, but it, man, it, the college carousel has gotten started early with Michigan state, Mississippi state, yeah, I was going to uh, talk Texas about the Mississippi, I was going to talk about the Mississippi State one for a second because I just kind of feel bad for this guy. Like Zach Arnett uh, was promoted head coach last December um, after mm-hmm. the sudden death of legendary coach Mike Leach, um, the pirate. 
and and so he technically didn't even get to get a full first season uh before they fired him i get it they've lost six of their last eight they're four and six <laughs> uh and got the shit kicked out of them by texas a&m 51 to 10 and that that was the that was a straw that broke the camel's back for the university so I get it, but at the same time, like I, I got, I just feel for this dude because it's like this wasn't this this job was kind of just thrust on you. Um, yeah. So I, I think he'll, I think he'll get hired somewhere and then have have a chance to elevate his game and get better at it before you know before he gets another head coaching hire job. But yeah, um, really tough situation all around there. Um, I wonder if that was triggered by A and M firing Jimbo to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Um, Cause SEC, everything's an arm race, everything, everyone wants to keep up with the Joneses and maybe they saw it as, okay, well we won't get A&M's guy, but maybe we'll get their number two guy and he could be really good. Um, I hate how it all turned out because I was rooting for Arnett after, after the tragic passing of coach Leach, um, the pirate who's an all time legend, but you and I are both, uh, big Mike Leach guys from a personality perspective and his co- his teams were always fun to watch. I mean, he made Wazoo really competitive. So it, it was sad to see how everything played out and I'm going to root for him wherever his next stop is, unless it's the university of Nebraska. Um, so I, I hope Michigan he does well. And eh, Michigan state, their fans are just fucking lunatics. They think they're a blue blood for God knows what reason. <laughs> Like, it really doesn't make sense. Michigan State fans think, think that they're the best job in college football, and it's like, y'all are mid, yeah. as the kids would say. It's the most fucking mid job out there. Like, okay, congrats on being a middling Big Ten team that gets shit kicked by Michigan and Ohio State every year. Yeah. Whoa. D'Antonio was the one good coach. And also, you guys could have had Nick Saban there on a lifetime deal, and you decided to let him test the waters with LSU. Really yeah. good job there. Yeah. Idiots. Couple other ones. Uh, Brian Ferentz won't return as Iowa's offensive coordinator. Not shocking at all, since Iowa can barely score twenty points a game. Alex Grinch, who you've talked about quite a bit on this podcast, <laughs> gets fired uh, as USC's defensive coordinator, and then uh, Penn State also let their offensive coordinator go. Mike Yurchich, Yurkich. Um, honestly, I don't watch Penn State football enough to know what his fucking name is. They're boring. Yeah. It's a boring brand of football. Um, also, Boise State, Andy Avalos was let go as their head coach. He was relieved of his duties. Something very interesting. That is the first head coach that Boise State has ever fired in their football history. Is it? Every other coach for them has resigned, retired, or taken another job to later wow. be fired. Looking at a Harrison, Brian Harrison from uh, Auburn. He took the job and then got fired on a very suspicious allegation of adultery. Wow. I don't think it was ever proven. I think it was just made by boosters to get him out. But uh, yeah, Boise State never fired a head coach. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So but the coaching you know, carousel started for me. two game, two games left in the regular season for college football. It's off to an interesting uh, ending here for a lot of football teams, but you know who doesn't have to worry about that? The Colorado Buffaloes. We do not. I don't think Dion's going anywhere, and we're definitely not letting him go. So Sean Lewis is. Yeah. Sean Lewis is going somewhere. He might be going to Penn State or Iowa or Boise State. Who the hell knows? But he ain't going to be a buff next year. I'll call that. Yeah, well, I'm not heartbroken about that one. 
Yeah, shit happens. We <laughs> talked about it. Yeah, for sure. Well, right on, everybody. Well, thank you so much for giving us another listen on Out of Office Bros. We'll be out of office again on Friday. So for immediate assistance, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, and anywhere that you get your podcasts. And please be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and please, please, please tell your friends. Or if you're like my dad, tell everybody best, the Out of <laughs> Office Bros. Scobuffs, boycott opening day. Yeah, yeah.